Welcome to The Forest Garden, your guide to transforming your organic gardening practice into a holistic and edible forest garden landscape. On today's episode of The Forest Garden, Ben and I will be discussing some of our favorite seed companies and seed saving organizations that we think you should consider sourcing material from for the coming spring. I'm not sure about you listeners, but for me, this time of year is when I start to get that itch to start mentally preparing for the upcoming growing season. Seed catalogs will start hitting mailboxes over the next couple of months, so now's the time to subscribe to the standout organizations that we'll be highlighting in this episode. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Forest Garden Podcast with Mike Amato and Ben Bishop. If you're listening to this right now, it's probably winter time and you're like us thinking about the following spring and all the plants you want to grow. Maybe you have some seed catalogs or people on Instagram are inspiring you to, to grow new stuff, or maybe you just want to explore and be the first one to grow something of your community. Whatever the case, this episode, we're going to talk about our favorite places to order from and things we're excited about for next year. I don't know about you, Mike, but for me, I get a little bit obsessive in the wintertime about like planning for the following spring. Like I, I get that itch and just can't wait to start ordering and collecting and looking for something weird and rare or delicious and new, colorful and different. And so I, I, I dive pretty deep. And over the years, I've gotten a, a pretty big collection of nurseries and seed catalogs and sometimes just hobbyists, people that I know that have amazing collections that share online. I think you have a pretty extensive list as well. So I think there's a lot we're going to add today, a lot of value that we could add to people who are listening, who want to expand their palette of, of nurseries and catalogs to order, order seeds from. It's a lot of fun. It, you can get carried away sometimes. And uh, some people late at night, they order and wake up the following day and be like, what did I order last night when I was in the zone? And, but for me, sometimes I have to cancel some, some seed orders because I get carried away. <laughs> It is really easy to get carried away when you enter into the online manic plant mode. <laughs> I've definitely been there myself. I would say that before we even sort of jump into all of our favorite nurseries, just a reminder to our listeners, it is always best to source from your local nursery if the plants at your local nursery are also locally sourced. If you go down the road and purchase plants or seeds from your local source, you should ask around and ask where the plants were grown. Because some a lot of the times, the depending on where you live, it's possible that the plants come from very, very far distances from where you actually are based. So sometimes shopping local isn't really shopping local. That's sort of an argument for ordering online from people who you know are really doing great work. But at the same time, any plant that's adjusted to your local ecosystem, your local climate is going to perform best for you. So before scouring the internet, or maybe before taking all these recommendations that we're going to give you, look around in your neighborhood and, and ask, and don't be afraid to ask questions like, hey, was this grown by you? It wasn't grown by you. Okay, where was it grown? You don't know? That might not be the best. But anyways... So today we're going to talk about some of our favorite seed catalogs, some of our favorite nurseries. Once the seed catalogs start hitting you in like February, depending on what nursery or what seed company it is, it can get really sort of salivating. I suggest caution in ordering too much all at once. It's best to have some restraint in this practice, which Ben and I are not always the best at in terms of restraining ourselves. But do as we say, not as we do. And yeah, let's uh, jump right into it. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, I think I'll probably talk more about some seed companies because, you know, for me in this chapter of my life, where for a couple of years I was doing, or more than a couple, maybe like six or seven years, I was doing a forest garden in a permanent spot that I own, but now I'm a bit more mobile. I'm more interested in and seeds and seed treatments and germination and starting seedlings. And so that's been my world for the last two years. A cool company, and, and I guess in general, I'll, I'll say that sometimes it seems like the best selection is not necessarily 
very well known. Like some of these sites, I I'm surprised I haven't heard of before. They don't seem like they're very popular, but they have extremely extensive selections and uh, interesting descriptions, a lot of great information. But also I've noticed that some of the best websites and the best selection seed companies or seedling companies, they don't even have a very complex website. It's usually very text-based. Some of them only, or you can order only over snail mail with, with a check. And there's something about that that I, I find a little endearing. This first one, I think you can order online, but I think they, they do PayPal. Okay. And it's uh, F.W. Schumacher, Tree and sh- Shrub Seeds. And the reason why I like F.W. Schumacher is they have a really extensive collection of tree species and tree cultivars as well, but it's not restricted. It's very extensive for the temperate regions, but they also have a lot of tropical plants too, tropical trees. And so I don't know, I I believe they do some of the growing themselves. Like you touched on, you know, ordering from places that, that grow the seeds themselves. But I think just because of their selection, they might have other suppliers that supply them with some of the tropical seeds because they're based out of Sandwich, Massachusetts, but I don't think there's certain species that you wouldn't really be able to grow. I won't really go into the, you know, all they have, cause they have a, you know, website where you can look at, look up all the seeds. I don't even know the the total number uh, of species they offer, but I was really impressed that you could find, you know, my world right now is in the Juglans genus. And not only can you find black walnut and English walnut, you can find Japanese walnut, the, the heart nut, butternut, and hybrids thereof. And, and that's not really very common to find. And that was just one of, you know, many genera that they, they have. And it's interesting too, they sell by the pound or, or, you know, you could order by the ounce, but they have like ounce, quarter pound, pound of seeds, but actually even more interesting. And one of the reasons why, another reason why I love them is that you can order a trial packet. And so for like three bucks or th- three bucks, oh, sorry, $3, 50 cents, you can order a trial packet of pretty much anything they have. And so instead of having to order a quarter pound or a pound of seeds, which, you know, sometimes that could be like 80 bucks, you can just get a few to try, you know, so depending on the size of the seed, that's going to be, that could be three like large tree, tree nuts or something, or that could be 30 small seeds. And that's a great deal. I think, especially for the harder to find, harder to find plants. I've ordered some interesting types of mulberries from them, some Himalayan mulberries, and which are, again are kind of hard to find, Morris macrora. And my hope is that they'll be hardy to colder climates, zone six, and maybe even colder. Apparently, the Himalayan or the macrora species of mulberry uh, are really delicious. I've never had one before, but I've heard really good reviews from some people on the, the Facebook groups for for mulberry. So I ordered some of those from them. They all grew really well. I had some issues getting those juggling species I mentioned. I guess their supplier ran out, but I guess that comes with the territory when you have um, a lot of things on offer. But the customer service was great. The person who does the, the customer service is just like one lady and she, she's she got a thick Boston accent, but she's really nice. And she uh, made sure that I got my order um, or as much as they could fill up my order. So I would suggest checking them out. I've got a lot of good things to say. Again, the selection's good. The customer service is good. And they're really flexible with their seed quantities that you can you can order from them. Yeah, they're a very, very cool organization. We've never talked about this before, but I, I also know them. And uh, Sandwiches on the Cape, and actually a, a place I've spent a lot of time in my life. So I was very surprised to discover that there was this epic seed company like hidden in the sandwich that I... You ordered from them before? No, I just communicated with the owner. I I did. I had this is maybe you know completely wrong, but I thought that some of their stuff was a little pricey, I guess. But also, I think it's kind of aimed more at like commercial growers than yeah. home gardeners. So that's something to keep in mind: is that some of these companies are going to have different people that they're catering to, and the, probably the reason why this stuff is a little expensive sometimes is because it is really rare and they're dealing with people who are trying to grow out an entire field of whatever juggling species, for example. Because you like the price as you're talking about, like if I want to look up Pinus coriana or excuse me, Abies coriana, the, if you look at the website, it says like 37 bucks is the cheapest you can buy the lowest quantity for an ounce. 
but then you can go on there and again, buy that $3 and 50 seed packet and get, you know, a small little handful of seeds from them. And that's usually what most people need anyway. So don't get scared away by the, the prices on the website. If, if you're, if you're looking just to grow out, you know, a few seeds, you can totally get that. That's a good point. I guess I didn't, I didn't even notice the trial packet thing. So I guess they're just sort of aimed at bulk people who are buying in bulk. But anyways, moving on, if I'm going to name drop a nursery or seed company, I guess they're actually both. I think the first one that comes to mind for me is Fedco, which is a co-op, really cool co-op seed company based in Clinton, Maine. All things New England represent big, big fan of a lot of uh, seed companies that are New England based, but this is like the cool one. It's it, the catalog that comes out a couple times. They have a few different catalogs that come out. My favorite is the one that comes out for the fall ordering plants, which is like their, uh, it's not the seed catalog per se, but you, the seed catalog is really cool too. And part of what makes it so cool is like the history of the organization and the little little bits of information that they throw in, like personal stories about how they stumble across one type of seed or a funny thing that happened one year. And it just has like this real humanism to it. That's really nice. It was founded by basically hippies in the seventies during the back to the land movement. And that concept of back to an agrarian lifestyle is very much a part of the organization today. It's a really, really awesome organization. Supporting them is, you know, you can feel good when you spend however much money ordering from them because the money is going to some really amazing people and a really, really fantastic organization. In terms of like what they carry, it's not going to be like F.W. Schumacher in terms of like all these very interesting, rare, some people use the term exotic plants, but it's going to have an incredible diversity of interesting annuals and perennials and seeds or, you know, bare root stuff. There's a, it's such a variety of things that you can order. There's also one thing that's really, the, probably the coolest thing about them is that the, the director or the guy who started it all was, uh, I think it, his name is C.R. Lawn. I don't remember what C.R. stands for, but he had this big thing for rare apple cultivars. And they have like the most extensive list of interesting, you've never heard of apple cultivars in a single catalog, like ever. That yeah, I, at least I'm on the page right now. It's, it's really extensive. And they break it down by like cider apples and then ones for fresh eating. And they've got different categories and they, they have a lot of description uh, about each, each variety. This is, this is great. Yeah, the apples, I mean, and personally, I'm not even a huge fan of apples in terms of all the different types of fruit that you can plant in your landscape, especially in New England, like apples are popular. And I I love, I love cider. I like to make my own cider. Uh, My grandfather had a cider press and I think he tried it once and was just like, this is way too much work. How do people do this? And actually a lot of cideries just use apple juice. They don't even like press the apples themselves, which is interesting. But anyways, I'm not a huge fan of apples, but seeing that list, I was like, oh my God, like some of the descriptions of those, those like, especially the apples that ripen later in the season are the ones that you like are supposed to harvest in December. And then they just get better as they age. It was mind blowing to, to read all into it. And like I said, just like the level of care and information that goes into the catalog, there's so much info in there. And I just like, it's like bedtime reading. Like I'll just like lay in bed with my light on, just like delving into like all these apple cultivars I've never heard of, like Northern Spy or I don't know. There's so many cool ones. And there's like little illustrations. It's not a, another thing is it's not a color catalog, which it, a lot of people like a color catalog because it's printed in full color. And how cool is that? You know, it's like it, it's candy for your eyes. But you should also beware that because often the most colorful, eye popping, grab your attention fruit or vegetable might not be like the tastiest fruit or vegetable. It might just be really aesthetically pleasing, which kind of falls into that category of things that are going to be on the shelf in your supermarket and grab your attention. So we want to buy it. Consumers like things that are colorful, but really, you know, we should be selecting for taste and for storage quality and for disease resistance and not necessarily how red the tomato is, you know? 
it also seems that a lot of the nurseries and catalogs that I've I've come across, some of the larger ones that do have the more colorful spread like that, I feel like sometimes they just try to hard sell everything. And, you know, you have these beautiful photos and these descriptions that say they're the best tasting or the number one producer. And I feel like it, a lot of it's exaggerated. And some, some of the more understated catalogs that just want to inform you about here's the varieties, here's the species that we offer, and here's what they do well, here's, here's what they'll look out for. I, I appreciate more than the ones that try to sell you on everything. Exactly. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Fedco is one of those really honest seed catalogs that it's like they, they offer so many things and they'll say in it, this is not the apple for everyone. Like this apple is very specific for XYZ thing and it's susceptible to these various diseases. Like this could be a problem apple for you. There are better options, but we love it for these reasons. And yeah, you're right. A lot of the times it, that's not the case. It's just heavy marketing and just really like, this is the best for these reasons. And they don't tell you the other six things that are not the, you know, not the reasons to pick it, but Fedco definitely does. So huge shout out to Fedco. They're awesome. I haven't been to their nursery or seed. I, I don't know. I haven't been to their physical location. Let's just say that. And uh, I would like to, but one day. Okay. I'm going to give you another weird one. Um, or I guess the Schumacher wasn't too weird, but I'm on their website right now and it's still very much text-based. This is the one that one of my favorites, not appropriate for everyone in all climates. And this one's called Sacred Succulents and they're out of Sebastopol, California. And they specialize in, man, how do I, how do I, how do I describe? It's not just succulents. They do a lot of succulents. They do a lot of cacti, but they do Central American, South American, and even like temperate South American, like Chilean plants. And it's just a really interesting collection of, of trees and species. Most of them I've never even heard of before. They give you the Latin name and they give you the name in Spanish or the name in Quechua or the name in whatever native language the the plants come from. And they provide like the traditional uses of the plant and some taxonomical history. And some of the plants are California natives. So they do do some native plants from the from North America. Man, where do I where do I begin? They have Andean ethnobotanical collections and DN tuber crops. Some of these things, you know, they, they give you a hardiness rating and some of them do go up to zone six. Some of them do go as cold as zone five. Even I bought, let's see, a relative, a blueberry relative from there. I, I think it was vaccinium gothari or something like that. That was years ago. And it grew for a while. It, it was, it was young. It never fruited before I had to unfortunately leave that spot, but it was just really cool to be able to grow things from around the world that Honestly, a lot of this stuff I can't get anywhere else and I've never heard of, honestly, uh, anywhere else. One of the plants that I, I still grow from this catalog, I bought some seeds of a type of goji berry that produces large leaves for, I think we might've mentioned it on one of our past episodes and I post about it on Instagram sometimes. It's a goji berry that produces uh, large leaves and stems that are really great for eating as a vegetable. Extremely, extremely nutritious, very high high in vitamin E and other minerals. It's a Lyceum barbarum, while a lot of the other edible leaf goji berries are Lyceum chinense. And so, you know, e even within that niche category of edible leaf goji berry plants, they have the one that's like different than the one everyone else is growing because it's, it's a different species. Um, so that's just an example of, of what they have. And they've got medicinal categories for medicinal plants edibles, ones of other interest. They've got ones that apparently I can't recommend them for people, but some, some plants that are used ceremonially or for, for hallucinogenic purposes, there's blueberries on here that apparently make you feel like you're flying. So that sounds interesting. I don't know if I'm going to order that, order that plant, but <laughs> if you're interested in, in these sort of things, check out Sacred Succulents, very low tech website. They do auctions where you can they put up plants for sale. Usually that's more of their, their cacti and succulent selection. Uh, they do auctions for, for certain new plants and, or, or even plants that they've offered uh, in the past or are going to stop offering. And they put them up for sale at a reasonable price and see what people, people bid. So it's kind of a fun community of plant geeks like us. Very cool. Really, uh, I, I like how diverse our recommendations are. And I think we might have even covered 
like a few episodes ago i'm not sure if it's going to be released before or after this episode honestly but somewhere at some point we talked about just really briefly some of our favorite seed companies and i think you mentioned it back then too so for our listeners there might be a little bit of overlap okay so the seed company that i'm going to talk about next is strictly medicinal it used to be horizon herbs and it is it was founded and is still run by a guy who some of our listeners might be familiar with. His name is Rico Check. He's pretty well known in the medicinal plant community. If you ever take a class in traditional medicinal uses of plants, it's pretty likely that some of his books will be on the list uh, for the course. He, he wrote several, but Making Plant Medicine is a pretty popular one or Growing At-Risk Medicinal Herbs is another popular one. He also did The Medicinal Herb Grower. But yeah, so a very, very knowledgeable guy. And the Strictly Medicinal Seed Catalog, similar to Sacred Succulents, has just a ridiculous amount of information in it. Well, actually, similar to Sacred Succulents, it has a ridiculous amount of sort of hard-to-find, rare, or unusual plants or plant seeds that you can order from them, or just ones that sometimes are pretty common, but you didn't recognize how useful they were. And the seed catalog just has a ridiculous amount of information about why that plant is important and what its beneficial uses are, what you can use to make with it, etc. And really an emphasis on medicinals. So for our listeners, a medicinal plant is just a plant that serves some sort of purpose. It could be for making a salve. You could make a tincture out of it. It's not always an edible plant, but it might function in a bunch of other ways. Like you could dry some of the leaves and make a tea from that, those dried leaves, for example. And that tea, that tea might help with rheumatism or any number of unusual beneficial properties that they might have. Also, Rico Check has a lot of plants that are used in traditional Chinese medicine. So in the seed catalog, frequently it will reference TCM. That's what TCM stands for, traditional Chinese medicine. So it's just a very, very cool catalog, similar to the Fedco catalog. It's all in black and white. It has a ridiculous amount of information. I read it cover to cover before I even decided to order anything. And a lot of the the plants in there you could source from a different nursery perhaps like the you know the just because i'm recommending strictly medicinal doesn't necessarily mean that you always have to order from this one seed company but it's also just good to to pick up the catalog because of all the information in there you'll learn so much from it and then you could be like oh my god i already have this plant in my backyard i could have been using it for all these different things like who knew that i could use plantain to like put on a bee sting or something like that so really, really, really useful. And in terms of all of the varieties in there, like you might have chamomile growing on your property, but did you know that there's different types of chamomile that Rico Check has all of? Yeah, I think there's actually four or five types of chamomile that he offers, but you just like have never heard of them. And some of them are selections that they made on their own property. Like they have a bunch of different types of valerian. And one of them is just called Homestash. Yeah, it's just something that they've selected for over a period of time, having a bunch of different varieties of things and saying, this is the best Valerian, like we're going to stick with this one. And yeah, I don't know. Highly recommend. Yeah, I've actually seen some of those seeds sold at a tea shop in Nashville. They were just kind of hanging up on a, it it was cool. They were displayed on like almost like a clothesline. They were clothespinned to the string and there was a whole line of their seed packets for sale. And I just was in line to order and, and was looking through and I was like, bilberry and wild quinine. Like what kind of seed company is this? This is really interesting. I think, I don't, I don't remember what I bought from them, but immediately I could see that the selection was kind of different from most other ones because they focus on medicinals. Yeah. And another good point to that, I mean, with the wild quinine, there's a lot of things in that catalog that are traditionally wild species or things that someone might be like, why am I going to pay for this? I can just go into my native forest and like pick it or harvest it there. Well, in reality, you probably shouldn't be doing that. You really should be sourcing wild plants from places like Strictly Medicinal that have a large quantity of it that they've been growing out for people like us, rather than just going out and 
ripping ramps out of the ground, maybe just order some ramp seed and then sow the seed and wait the four years for your ramps to pop up because <laughs> that's how long it takes for ramp seed. It's pretty ridiculous, but, and ramp is a, is a type of wild onion for our listeners who aren't familiar with it. it grows on the East coast, pops up in the spring. But yeah, so sustainably harvesting is important and even better sustainably growing the things that you want to grow that are wild species, order them from somewhere like Strictly Medicinal that can provide it without you having to worry like, oh, did this seller on Etsy just go out and like harvest every last ramp in the forest to be able to sell me it? Like, you know, how did this happen? You know that when you order from Strictly Medicinal or any of these other companies that we're recommending that they're doing good work and they're not doing anything sketchy, basically. Yeah, it's a good point because, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. So it's nice to have some criteria to choose from beyond just the selection. It's like, okay, this, this is being sourced sustainably in a way that's appropriate and respectful to the, the populations that exist. And are they, are they depleting existing stands or are they using plants that they grow on their own property and just getting their, getting their seeds from those. That's a really good point. Maybe I'll do a plug for Hark, the research center that I work at and their seed sales. There's no website, but you can email the center for agroforestry and get a statement on what's being offered for the year. Usually when it comes to tree seeds, they're, they're offered for sale in the fall. So even though this this episode is sort of geared towards spring seed ordering, you know, this a, a podcast hopefully will be around for many years to come. So if you're listening to this in the summer or fall, definitely give them a, a call and a ring or an email. There are chestnuts for sale. And then I'll talk about black walnut in a second, but the chestnut seeds are extremely high quality. It's a very great, very extensive selection. One of the best in the country, I think, of Chinese chestnuts. You can get information on the different cultivars and the different what different uh, yield and the different potential and recommendations for where they should be grown, how they should be grown. My personal favorites, as far as flavor, if you're going to order some chestnut, I really like ones from Auburn. There's like the AU Super and the AU Homestead, and there's also one called Yishin. Good flavor, but I'm getting off topic. So you can order the chestnuts and get them sent to your your farm or your your home or wherever you're going to be growing your chestnuts. But you do have to make you do have to e- make the email. And remember that when you're ordering these seeds, of course, and this goes for any tree seeds, they're not going to be exactly the same as the parent tree that they came from. But in this case, they potentially could be even better because the trees are all grown together and there's a pollen cloud. And so if it, when there's the cross pollination, you're probably getting, you know, your cultivar of choice crossed with another amazing cultivar and getting something, getting something new. So you know that you're getting a good pollen cloud. It's not just going to be, you know, chestnut all mixed with just one other type of chestnut. You're getting a, a really nice mix. And I believe the, the prices for the chestnuts, because usually you're, you're ordering by the pound, are, are pretty reasonable too, depending on the cultivar in the year. So I would give the Center for Agroforestry an email about that. And then the black walnut, there's some years the seeds are offered for the, the various cultivars that are commercially available. We, we don't sell the seeds for crosses that are currently under evaluation for the breeding program, but we do offer... If you're listening to this, you know, in 2021, 2022, I don't know beyond that. We do offer the trees for sale for growers to grow out as part of an evaluation of the, the newest releases from the breeding program. And actually not for sale, they're offered as part of an agreement. So you can, if you have enough acreage around three acres to grow uh, black walnut, you can get these trees sent to you free of charge, or I think they're actually just at cost. So it's relatively inexpensive. And you could be part of the evaluations of this next generation of really elite black walnut genetics and be growing them on your property. So you can also call about pecan and pawpaw and persimmon too. They're all grown. I don't know the status of seed sales right now for this year, but it's definitely something to look into for people who want seeds from known cultivars. The the selections are pretty extensive there as well. Just to clarify for our listeners, let's say that someone has three acres of land. 
how many trees are they committing to growing in that situation if they want to hop on the train? Well, let's see. So there's nine different cultivars. You're expected to grow all of the cultivars in the space. We're talking about at least 100, maybe uh, 150 trees. Gotcha. So somebody who has a three-acre property with a bunch of other stuff on that property, probably. You Basically, if someone has a three-acre field that they're looking to make a nut orchard, that's yeah. the... I know that not every, everyone listening is going to have that space. Some people are more restricted in terms of where they can grow. But I just thought I'd throw that out there because it's a, it's a really great resource for, for genetics. Got to find me a three-acre field, I guess. <laughs> All right. So moving on, I'm going to go with a tried and true classic, which is Baker Creek, also known as rareseeds.com. It's funny because, you know, Baker Creek is how I know them, but I think they just got rareseeds.com pretty early in the, in like, you know, in the nineties or something, or in the early two thousands when everyone was just starting to start up websites. So Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company was started back in like 98, I think, by this guy, Jer Gettle. And at first it was, it was not as intense as it is now, but these days, Baker Creek has one of the most ridiculous selections of 19th century heirloom seeds from the U.S. and Europe and Asia. And a lot of Asian greens and Asian seeds that aren't featured in other catalogs. I mean, there's there's other catalogs that I can recommend that are specific to Asian cultivars of heirlooms and perennials. But this one is just kind of like your classic mix of everything summer growing annuals really really an emphasis on annual heirloom vegetables and also flowers and that kind of stuff and some medicinals and some herbs but really stuff that you're going to be growing in your garden in the summertime and often stuff that you've never seen before some of the most eye-catching just crazy looking really really cool heirloom plants that you know some were saved through hundreds of years by particular families or whatever they're uh based in your neck of the woods ben in mansfield missouri how far is that from where you're at that's a good question i know they were doing a a, a baker creek seed festival this past uh summer or sometime this past year i wasn't able to make it out but i, I didn't know either until i heard about that festival yeah i don't know how far away it is from from Colombia, but yeah, I would totally go if I could. I want to check out their spot because uh, now that the pandemic is in a bit of a different situation, they have reopened their property for visitors pre-pandemic. Like people could just drop by and check out their different growing operations. They have several, they have like trial gardens and greenhouses and all this cool stuff. So one day I will get there, but basically, yeah. So Baker Creek, really cool spot really cool company to order from. I will say that in terms of what we talked about earlier, like with their catalog, the marketing is more on the really showy, beautiful, like incredible layout, incredible photos, probably pay a lot of money for the marketing and production of that catalog. But it is also just, it's a fantastic catalog. It's just fantastic in a different way. It doesn't have as much information in terms of just like reading it like a book it really is more like a magazine that's trying to sell you stuff and you want to buy that stuff but also take it with a grain of salt that like every single tomato in the catalog probably doesn't taste amazing there's some that are really 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 good and then there's some that are beautiful and that's about where it ends and so you might want to just double do like don't immediately just impulse buy everything that looks beautiful in that catalog because it will be beautiful, but there's more than just aesthetics when it comes to growing, especially things like heirloom tomatoes when, you know, there's so many different varieties of heirloom tomatoes out there. Some of them have been bred just so that they look really, really interesting and like are more ornamental than edible. I've come across a few of those that tomatoes just that have like a really thick skin aren't very flavorful, but look like it's, you know, a galaxy in your hand. So really, I don't know, that's a bit of a rant. But also, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on there. There's a lot of seeds on there that are real gems. 
they're they have two different catalogs they have a like a whole seed catalog which is just like 500 page ridiculous huge catalog that you can get and then they have their standard one the standard one is free the other one's 10 bucks i've i personally i just recommend the standard one my brother-in-law came across the german lunchbox tomato via baker creek that's been like this only really good tomato that he can grow in his kind of unusual climate in hawaii that is a, just a knockout like it does really really well for whatever reason you'd think that hawaii you can grow anything but actually it's surprisingly hard to grow just heirloom vegetables the stuff that you buy at your like local safeway or whatever things like zucchini and that kind of stuff people have a lot of issues growing in hawaii because of a variety of reasons and yeah he was at the german lunchbox tomato he found um, in the baker creek catalog and it worked out great for him so it's definitely a really really awesome company really great selection just you know has such a wide range of things it's it's easy to kind of get lost in it another another thing is that because they're based in Missouri and I believe most of their growers I mean I, I'm guessing here but I think a lot of the majority of their growers are in a pretty similar climate to where they are they're in zone 6b and I'm also in zone 6b so that's that's a good thing to think about like if you're ordering from a specific seed company, you kind of want to know where the seeds are being grown out. If you're ordering from a seed company that's based in the desert of New Mexico and you're in New England and the company is all about producing plants for the desert of New Mexico, then, you know, the seeds aren't going to do so hot in your homestead in a place where you get a hundred days of rain. It's just the seeds have matured over the years and become adapted to that local microclimate of the desert. And so it's great for people who live in the desert. It's not so great for people who don't. For Baker Creek, it seems like our climates are kind of similar. You know, it's still different. It's going to be different everywhere. Even if it's in zone 6B, elevation, all these different things factor into it, rainfall, whatever. But so far, so good. I've had, I've had pretty good success growing their stuff. And part of that is probably because we're in a pretty similar climate zone. So, you know, if you're ordering a eggplant, a black beauty eggplant or big boy tomatoes, you can order big boy tomato from a bajillion different seed companies. Every single seed company you order it from is going to have it offered, but you want to find the big boy tomato that is going to grow best in your backyard. So do your research. Don't, or, you know, if your backyard is a desert, don't order it from a, a seed company in New England. So you think that, I forget if we had this conversation already, but if, it, if you have an heirloom tomato and it's propagated by seed, of course, although sometimes they can be propagated vegetatively, but if it is propagated by seed, if it's been propagated in a particular climate and then gets sent to like, you know, a very different climate, the fact that it was grown for a while in like a desert climate, for example, would actually change the the genetics of, because I mean, I can understand that for like, like open pollinated stuff, but do you think it would change the seed and the genetics itself for something that's an heirloom? Yes, 100%. Yes. And maybe we should just define exactly what some of these terms mean. So heirloom just means something that has been handed down from one generation to the next. So an heirloom seed is something that's been saved for generations by a specific family, usually. A land-raised seed is a seed that has grown in a very particular area and is very specific to that area. Land-raised gardening was the way that everybody gardened before the rise of seed companies. And so both heirlooms and land-raised seeds have an incredible original genetic makeup so basically, heirlooms are like land-raised strains that have been taken out of the native habitat that they were grown in and are grown in a different location. Land races are kind of indigenous to the environment that they exist within, like a land race for Connecticut would do really, really well in Connecticut, whereas a land race for Missouri would do really well there. When we transport seeds around because of human intervention, they're just not as pure to their land race ancestors. But still, comparatively, when we compare hybrids to heirlooms, heirlooms possess far more of the original genetic makeup of what that plant was that someone selected it for from wherever it originated from. So most of the stuff in their catalog is open pollinated also. Yeah. 
but yeah, a hundred percent in terms of the, if you grow out a seed in your backyard and save that seed for 10 years, it's going to perform better than any other seed that you find from whatever company. And that's the whole basis of the idea of land race gardening or creating a land race. It's just essentially if I made a Micamato land race tomato, it'd just be a tomato that I grew on my property in zone 6B, Southern New England, within a certain distance of the Connecticut River for a long time. And it became the most acclimated to the pests and diseases and fluctuations in temperature and rainfall in this area that I'm growing it in. That's pretty true across the board. I, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be, but from what I understand, it's important. So I think at this point, it might be a good opportunity to take a moment of silence for Oikos tree crops. One of my favorite plant nurseries. And I know, I know it's a favorite of yours too. Ken, come back to us. Yeah. For those people who weren't hip to that nursery, or maybe they are now, now that they uh, announced that they're closing, but if you never got a chance to order and check out their catalog, it was pretty amazing. Again, one of those places full of stuff that you couldn't find anywhere else, really informative descriptions. Ken Asmus, the proprietor, great customer service. He'd like give you lots of thoughts and opinions and facts about things if you ever asked him via email. Every once in a while, I'll get a plant that didn't do, do anything from them. But overall, I, I've had a great experience ordering from them. And the website's still up, but you can't, all the web, all the pages on it just give you errors when you try to click on them. So great photos and really interesting things and information on there. But yeah, no more ordering, unfortunately. Live from the studio. Hey, everyone. So this is a 2022 update that was added in to this episode. We'll go back to the conversation in a second, but just an update about Oikos tree crops. Ken, I think, was looking to sell it, but then now in 2022, the website is functioning and you can order seeds and scion. And I believe that there's every day more and more trees being added to the mix and different seeds and scion available. That's just just a growing catalog so definitely check it out oikos is awesome i believe it's just transitioning into a sort of different business model where in the past you would order bare root plants but now it's more of a seed and scion ordering situation okay back to the show everything after this is going to be the original conversation that was recorded last year in 2021 yeah it's a sad day i remember when we talked about this earlier in the year it's just so sad to see any sort of really I don't know if permaculture is the right term, but let's just say permaculture focused organization sort of retire or stop their production. I I mean, Ken Ken is getting, I think he's, he's probably in his sixties, maybe seventies. So I get it, but it'd be cool if somewhere down the line, somebody else could kind of step in and, and start offering some of the plants there. That place also should just be like, a national historical landmark based on how biodiverse it is. Everybody should follow Ken on Instagram. It's just Oikos Tree Crops. He's been posting quite a bit recently, and it is insane the amount of cool, just crazy plants that often tree, you know, it's Oikos Tree Crops, so often trees that he planted like 30 or 40 years ago, and you get to see the habit of whatever black walnut variety versus the heart nut variety he has next to it and ugh, i don't know it's it's a whole different level of nerdery for me man it'd probably be a really good time to go visit i honestly <laughs> right now right during harvest yeah cool place to check out for sure another one i think we could probably both talk about is the experimental farm network oh that's a good one yeah i heard about them a couple of years ago i think actually even before they started offering seeds and the whole idea of it was it was a network of you know, amateur plant breeders and people who just like growing interesting crops from around the world. And the idea is to try to bring to light some lesser known crops that have a lot of potential for, for agriculture, both on a homestead scale, but on a you know small scale farm perspective too. Yeah, I think it's grown quite a bit since then and they have a really interesting catalog. Do you wanna talk a bit about Experimental Farm? Have you ordered from them before? Oh, yes, I have. It's actually probably like the first seed organization that I got really excited about and kind of set me on this 
journey into plant nerdery. They are an awesome, awesome organization. Beyond just even offering seed, you can join. I mean, it's called the Experimental Farm Network for a reason. The idea is that it's sort of a group of farmers and people who are into cultivation and plant breeders that can all work together and share notes and network and just throw ideas around and throw experiences back and forth about interesting, unusual crops that have been overlooked, usually perennials, that can just be really focused in on and grown out by a wide variety of people who go into the the forums on the website and share their experiences saying, hey, I was growing these potato onions. This is what happened. They flowered on this date. You know, I did these controlled crosses, blah, 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 blah. And it's really cool to anybody who is interested in getting into seed saving and amateur plant breeding. Amateur is what they call it, but honestly, it's there's really nothing amateur about it. Some of it's pretty uh, intense. You should definitely check out the Experimental Farm Network site. There's two separate sites. There's one for like ordering seeds, and then there's one for the more of the community. And it's free to join. I recommend that you do a little bit of research about this topic of seed saving and stuff before you just join every single group on there. There, That's how I discovered the Homesteaders Perennial Kale Grex from Chris Homanics. Really cool guy who haven't personally talked with him. I know his work and I grow the kales that he spent so many years working on and they are fantastic perennial kales. Who knew that kales could be perennial people? You can have them in the ground in your backyard for three to five more years and just they come up every year. It's fantastic. And just to put the sheer diversity of their, their catalog in perspective, when you log on the first banner promo for one of their seeds is the monkey puzzle tree. It's called, they call it a tree brontosaurus couldn't browse. It's an ancient tree that can grow apparently up to a thousand years old and produces these giant pine nut looking nuts. I've never grown it before, but I've been fascinated by it. And so they have, they have that. And then when it scrolls right away to the next plant on their little promo banner on the site, it's a, it's like Mary's ground cherries, like, like Physalis, Mary's Niagara ground cherries. So it, it just really runs the gamut of plants from around the world. I think the, the trees from Chile and let's see, Physalis is from Central America, I believe, but they have greens from Africa, nightshade greens from Africa, eggplants from Japan, like different types of sorghum. It's just a very interesting selection. And I, I really like the network aspect of, about it, where you might have someone say that, you know, they've tried growing out these seeds and they've selected some of the best that grew in their environment. And then they, they might send you those improved seeds like you had with the perennial kale. Um, and then you could do the work of growing it out in your climate and then maybe selecting for certain traits and then sending it to someone else. And so I, I really appreciate the, the community that they bring to the, the idea of seed saving and seed growing. And we should also add, there's a few things on there that you just simply can't get anywhere else, at least as of when we're recording this. One good example is the M1 Survivor Sorghum. I'm pretty sure they were the first people to offer it and also the only people to offer it right now. That's uh, basically a sorghum that is perennial. And why is it important to have a perennial sorghum? Well, one of the biggest contributing factors to climate change is our current agricultural method of tilling and just destroying inches and inches of soil that took millennia to build up. So having a perennial grain crop, like, you know, perennials are great, but we can't feed the world with just fruit and nuts uh, as much as Ben and I would, would like to just, I guess you could, you know, you, you theoretically could, but what we do, what we really like is bread and all these different things that are made from grains. And so to feed the world and to do it in a sustainable way, what we really need is like, perennial wheats. Kernza is one that is in the process of still being developed and improved. And this perennial sorghum just goes to show like we can select for perenniality and we can select for something that is going to improve soil health and actually make a huge difference in terms of mitigating climate change. That's something that we're very about on this podcast. Ben is in the agroforestry program at the University of Missouri. The whole point of agroforestry is really the, or not the whole point, but a big part of it is mitigating climate change and drawing down CO2 in our atmosphere. But that's a whole different rant, whatever. 
there's a lot of things in that catalog that you can't find anywhere else. Huge focus on perennialization, huge focus on improving varieties of things that you didn't even know about, like potato onions. Who knew that there were onions that multiply underground and just can keep growing and growing and getting better and better over the years if you leave them in the ground and don't harvest them, or if you harvest one or two at a time, plant one onion, and then suddenly you come back, you know, months later and there's six of them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it just it just keeps going. I'm looking at golden black raspberries right now. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. This was a good review. Uh, do you have any others? Any other uh, mentions? We'll definitely put in the notes all of the links to these, the ones we've talked about. Maybe even some other links to some of our favorite favorite nurseries. But any others you think we should mention? I, th- I think that this is probably a good place to stop. We could have a 14 hour long episode where we talk about all of our favorite organizations. Maybe we'll do another one farther down the line specific to like, well, mostly we've talked about seeds, but we could do an entire one based on bare root plants or mushrooms or what have you. So stay tuned listeners. This is not the last time that we'll be plugging our favorite seed companies. Maybe I'll do just like a quick rundown, like some other ones. Kitazawa, Kitazawa Seed, check them out. Adaptive Seeds, also a great one. Territorial Seed, very cool. Plant World Seeds, that one has some of the rarest stuff, but it's a UK company. So I recommend like doing a bulk order. I think shipping is kind of expensive. I don't really remember. Superseeds.com, a lot of really awesome perennial vegetables. Same thing with Amka Seed, A-M-K-H-A. I've ordered quite a bit of stuff from them. Really interesting diversity of, of options. Seed Savers, Seed Savers Exchange, really, really cool organization. Same thing with Southern Exposure, S-E-S-E. They're a different seed saving company. And also High Mowing, JL Hudson. That JL Hudson is an awesome one, kind of very similar to the Shoemaker. Yeah, Shoemaker uh, collection there. Yeah, JL Hudson, they're, they're actually their they're catalog is a trip. He's got some very strong opinions about the way we treat seeds in this in this country. But yeah, that's probably it. I, I, like I said, I could go on and on and on. There's like another hundred different seed companies to recommend, but that was a pretty good rundown of some of the, some of the standouts. All right, everyone uh, enjoy this time of year where you're planning and, and making your purchases and try not to get too carried away, but also have, have fun and happy growing. See you next time.